What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. We have a lot of fun on this podcast. We, uh, I, I enjoy writing about, talking about college football, talking about what's going on in the Pac-12, and making our weekly predictions and interviewing guests. But one thing that I kind of, uh, uh, that gives me a little bit of a migraine is when I go to write about court cases, lawsuits, Oregon State and Washington State against the Pac-12 and George Klyovkov, for example. There's a voice in the back of my head going, does the reader care about this? Uh, can Is it too complex? Is there, is there too much legalese going on? I'm John Canzano. That's my dilemma. You can read me at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. What works for you works for me. I'm here with John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. You can find him at pac12hotline.com. Wilner, t- take me through your process when you're writing about Court cases, legal documents, briefs, filings, uh, Exhibit A, Exhibit B. Uh, you know what? What's that voice in the back of your head going? Well, the first thing I do is take ad for Advil beforehand. Um, <laughs> no, I actually, I actually enjoy it. I like writing about the legal stuff. I like writing about media rights and and the media landscape. I like writing about off the field issues, economic issues, all that kind of thing. But I don't like too much of any one thing, right? Especially when it it takes away from time spent on the the on field competition. So I I don't mind reading it, but boy, it it's been a lot in the last two months, right? Since Washington State and Oregon State filed their um, their case, and you know that's not the only case. That's the problem. The Pac twelve's got like seven different legal cases going on right now, including the Comcast. The lawsuit over the the dismissals in the Comcast situation, so it has been a lot of a lot of time reading reading legal documents. Uh, I got to tell you, too much for for my blood. I like it, but not as much as as I've had to do in the last few months. When I'm covering a game, and you know, I'm in the press box, or I'm in the locker room, or I'm on the sideline, I can very succinctly say this is the story that you know, you know, Caleb Williams' lack of performance uh, in a big moment is the story, or Utah rising to the moment and the pig farmer driving the uh, team down the field. That was the moment. That was the pivot. You know, Oregon's run game, Oregon State's pass defense, um, Washington State's inability to run the football. Like, you know, I can I can identify the moment. When you give me 37 exhibits and you give me legalese, <laughs> I take a little longer to find the thing. And I find myself kind of sorting through it going, well, I'm glad I have to do this so the reader doesn't, and but and I feel you on that point. But um, you know, it, this isn't why I got into the business. It's just not, and and I think it's important stuff. And and like from the legal filing this week that Oregon State and Washington State filed in Whitman County Superior Court. Like the most interesting thing to me is that the University of Washington hasn't yet provided any document, not a single page in discovery. But that's not the headline. The headline is, you know, Oregon State, Washington State um, have uh, taken the next step in the lawsuit. There's a couple of more steps that will happen before the November 14th hearing. And here are the exhibits. And oh, by the way, everything, the preponderance or evidence points in the same direction. 
that Oregon State and Washington State should reap the vast majority of benefits and have governance over this conference. But, you know, is what's the story? What's the story in the in the lawsuit in this week? Well, there's two stories. This the part of the issue here. I mean, well, first, broadly, the off the field issues, whether it's it's illegal affairs or media rights, is much more important in college athletics now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So it's hard to cover the totality of college football without having to address those issues and explain how off the field impacts on the field. Uh, so that's the the general point. But more specifically with this Pac-12 case, you know, it depends. It's layered. It depends on who, which school you're talking about, and which fan base you're talking about, right? Because the the lawsuit only affects. The corner schools, for instance, to a certain degree, but it affects Washington State and Oregon State deeply. So you have to kind of try to thread the needle when, you know, when you're writing about it and covering it, you have to be mindful that there's two different audiences and try to thread the needle between addressing the details that matter so much to the Beavers and Cougars, but also keeping it broad enough and connecting the details to the bigger picture that affects the outgoing members because it does right i mean there's there's a lot of money at stake uh potentially for the 10 outbound schools and there's certainly a future at stake for washington state and oregon state so you have to that's that's to me what i find the most challenging thing is writing something that has appeal to both audiences. And, and I think there's a subsection and a subset within both audiences, because I think even within the Oregon State, Washington State grouping, there are some fans who just want, hey, show me the baby. Don't tell me about the labor pains. Just tell me how it ends at the end. I want to focus on college football. I want to focus on what's going on in the field. My, this is looking and sounding too much like my job, like my, you know, it's death, yeah. it's taxes, it's legalese, it's, you know, the Pac-12. And Look, I, I posted the piece on Wednesday about the filing, and, you know, I looked on Wednesday night. It had 257 comments, and I go into the comment section, and I start looking through the comments, and I do this, and I will respond to people in there, but I didn't find anybody in 257 comments, and it didn't matter who they rooted for. It was USC fans. It was Utah fans, Oregon fans, Washington fans, Oregon State, Washington State, all over the conference. I didn't find anybody, Wilner who said Oregon State and Washington State aren't entitled to the funds and aren't entitled to govern. And I don't see any of that in the exhibits. I think everybody can kind of see that they should win this battle. So what are we fighting over? What are they fighting over right now? Well, I mean, it depends. The 10, and, and first of all, I should say, I do not think that the, the 10 outbound schools are wishing ill upon Washington State and Oregon State at all. I think they want some kind of settlement that is fair, but I don't believe uh, – I saw somebody on Twitter saying, it's, oh, it's clear the 10 that are leaving want to burn the place down. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I think that there, there's, they, there's some guilt and there is a lot of s sympathy and empathy for the situation. You know, Everybody did what they had to do, and Oregon State and Washington State would have done the same thing if they had the opportunity. But everybody also, I think, feels bad for the situation, terrible about the situation. So I do think the 10 want some kind of equitable resolution. And but the question is, what does that mean? And it certainly has to do with the dollars, right? I don't think they want 
the Beavers and Cougars to take whatever it is, 60, 70 million in NCAA tournament money, plus, you know, potentially a bunch of tens of millions in in Rose Bowl and postseason football money and take it all on July 1st. And then on July 2nd, they say, all right, we've we've the, the money's been transferred to our bank accounts. We're now going to join the Mountain West. I think that's the scenario that that the other schools are worried about because then Washington State and Oregon State are basically doing the same thing. They're joining another conference, but they're doing it with all the money. So I think if they can reach some kind of equitable solution with how the postseason money is distributed, then that's what the 10 are looking for. Now, Oregon State and Washington State have a great case that those 10, they said, see you later. They have no right to it. But to me, that is the the essence of the discussion is is from the, from the side of the 10. Yeah, it's, and I'll go back to sort of the precedent, not just in the Pac-12 conference, but you can look at the Big 12 and you can look at other conferences. And, you know, the precedent is if you leave the conference, you don't get to say what becomes of the conference. You don't get to say if you're Texas and Oklahoma what the Big 12 should do. You don't get to say if you're UCLA, USC, had it just remained the 10, hey, if they want to add San Diego State, they want to add SMU, you don't get to go, ah, we don't think that's a good idea. You you lose governance. You give that up. Yes. You don't get to do that. And so if you just advance that conversation, okay, now it's Colorado leaving. Now it's Oregon, Washington leaving. Now it's you know Arizona, Arizona State, Utah also leaving. Now Stanford and Cal are gone. I don't see why those 10 should have any say in, you know, if Oregon State and Washington State want to take the remaining assets in the conference, create a bonfire and burn the money, that that should, ha- you know, Colorado doesn't shouldn't get a say in that. And I'm not saying that's what they want to do. But I, I just think I, I feel that this is probably headed towards if, if it goes to court, if it ends up in front of a judge, it, I think Oregon State, and Washington State are going to win this in a knockout. And, you know, to me, it's it's like, well, OK, if you decided to leave, as long as you are not getting hosed by Oregon State and Washington State, like they go and go, hey, we're going to punish you by cutting into your distributions for 2023 and and before August of 24. Um, I think as long as you have protection there that, you know, you should be OK. Maybe that's what they're looking for there. I don't get the impression Oregon State, and Washington State are looking to uh, to punish anybody. I think they're anxious and i think they're very focused on their survival and i actually don't think that they would merge with the mountain west after the uh, court deal i think they're going to play as a two next year and i think they're going to go very slow with what they do and then the big date becomes late june of uh, 2024 because that becomes the last time that the mountain west conference schools presumably could could say hey yeah we're going to join and and do it at the uh, 17 million dollar level instead of it being a much higher level. I think everyone's anticipating they're going to get a little more money in the next deal and raise that exit fee. But yeah, well, it, unless they dissolve, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they need I think they need nine to dissolve because I think right now yeah. if Oregon State and Washington State had their choice, I don't think they'd want more than about five or six of the Mountain West Conference schools. I think they would take San Diego State I think they would take Boise State. I think they would take Fresno State. I think they would take Air Force. I think they would take Colorado State. And I think they might take UNLV. I don't think they want the Wyoming, New Mexico, 
you know, and I don't and I don't think they want San Jose State in the fold. I think yeah. they want to be a different kind of conference. But again, Wait, and that go. would be that would be a pretty darn good football conference too. Yeah, I mean, as a you know, as a group, as, as look, as you want to call it a group of five, you want to call it a power five. That conference could could factor in a playoff, and that conference could get to the playoff. That conference would be closer to the reconfigured Big Twelve than the Big Twelve would be to the SEC or Big Ten. You know, uh, that would be a, a pretty good football conference. I, I think you, what you said about the precedent and if it does go to court, right, that's why the details are so important, too, because th that's why the the email, the internal emails and the memos and the, the presentations, that all matters because precedent was set after USC and UCLA left. That precedent was continued after Colorado left, though they were removed from the board. And I mean, it certainly seems like it's pretty clear, you know, that the conference changed, especially Commissioner George Klikoff, he changed his tune after, uh, you know, eight schools had gone right after and then after Stanford and Cal left. And Oregon State and Washington State are arguing that it doesn't matter how many schools have left. Precedent is precedent, whether it's just us remaining or not. And that's why I agree with you. Uh, it certainly seems like they've got a great case and they especially they got home court advantage, too. Right. I mean, if this thing, in fact, goes to trial in Whitman County, Washington, I think I think we can all you know bet heavily on the outcome. Why do you think George Klyovkov changed his tune? Because he did a stunning reversal where, you know, he he had texted, we, you know, I have four board members when it was down to Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State. He had treated UCLA, USC as non-board members after their announcement, Colorado the same. Why did he change his tune in your mind? I think he was taking legal advice either from the outgoing schools or from Pac-12 Council, uh, and that that's the, the middle – that's the neutral ground, basically. After everything pivoted far to one side, with ten leaving, he tried to, he tried to pivot to the middle, I guess. But again, the, a lot of the issues here also are lack of leadership, and that starts with him, right? I mean, it, it's just been an abomination on that front. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. He's John Wilner. You can find him at pack12hotline.com. We want to give a shout out to Pacific Seafood. Uh, Pacific Seafood and the team there, they're coming aboard in November as an official sponsor of the Kanzano and Wilner uh, podcast. Uh, we're proud to have them as sponsors. If you are somebody who uh, is interested, we also have a promo code that is live and active right now. If you want to uh, use the promo code at PacificSeafood.com, if you locate the where to buy button, and believe me, I have used Pacific Seafood for our seafood boil every summer. They do a fantastic job. But go to PacificSeafood.com, use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at your checkout, and you get 12% off your online purchase. And that's Kanzano and Wilner with the and sign in there. So it makes it simple for you. You don't have to spell it out. Kanzano and Wilner at checkout. Get 12% off your online purchase. Wilner, have you gone on to PacificSeafood.com yet to check out? Uh... I have indeed. I, the first thing I did actually was to check to make sure that there were no restaurants within, uh, you know, down here in, in my hood. Uh, but uh, certainly stuff on there, great selection. And uh, I know you rave about it. And uh, 
fabulous that they've come aboard. We're, we're thrilled to have them. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, I mean, they are the official meat and seafood provider of the Pac-12, but you you talk about they ship all over the United States. It's a great, um, it'd be a, it's a great gift, and it's a great thing for your family as well. Go to PacificSeafood.com. When, when, you, when you do your boil, what is your ch- seafood of choice? All right, so I relied on the experts at Pacific Seafood, and they literally have within the website, they've got sort of their boil offerings, and, and but we used, uh, we used their Alaskan crab, king crab, we uh, lobster tails. Uh, they also had mussels and shrimp, and you know you can get it all in one one shot, and they deliver it right to you. Fantastic job, really efficient. Uh, you know, swear by them. I've known them for years. I mean, they're obviously located here in the Pacific Northwest, and and uh, they're just such a natural sponsor for the for the podcast. So I want to thank them for their sponsorship, and they're coming aboard officially in November. But you can jump on that promo code now. If you want to use it, Konzano and Wilner at checkout gets you 12% off. Uh, let's pivot to our to our picks, man. We're in week nine. This thing's blowing by us, but it's getting pretty interesting. Game day will be in Salt Lake City Saturday morning, 1230 kickoff on Fox. Oregon's at Utah. Hostile environment. Utah's won 18 straight at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Ducks are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Wilner, who you got? Well, the first thing I did was try to figure out the last time Utah was an underdog at home. And from what I could figure, it was early in the 2018 season when the Huskies came to town. And that would have been a Jake Browning team. I think maybe Dante Pettis. And UW, I think, was top 10 at some point there. They were on their streak of three straight New Year's Six Bowl berths. Uh, and UW, UW won that game, but it has been five years since Utah was a home dog. And I was surprised to see the line is at seven. Now, maybe it's changed in the last 24 hours and I don't know, six and a half, seven and a half. But that seems like a lot to me. Uh, almost uh, almost like the bookies are trying to get you to do lean toward Utah because they, you know, trying to manipulate things. But I like I like the Utes. Uh, I think that their defense will will keep this game very close uh, and it could go down to the wire like so many Utah, uh, Oregon games. La- wasn't last year's game, uh, that was when Bo Nix got hurt, right? Yeah, it was really close. Both quarterbacks were hurt. Cam Rising was hurt in that game too. and they, I, That was just a really physical game. So you like Utah to win the game outright or just to cover? No, I'm taking Utah to cover. I think it'll be close, maybe – you know, field goal situation, something like that. I've I've got Oregon to win, but Utah to cover the seven. I think the the spread's dicey. I think it's about right. I I think Oregon's going to win this game. I have them winning by eight and covering, but I don't feel great about it. it. But I I just think I have to. You know, I think Oregon's the better team, and I think Utah's coming off a very emotional win against USC, and we saw a little bit of a letdown last week as Washington was coming off that big win over Oregon. So I just kind of wonder, will there be a little bit of a letdown in Salt Lake City? But the Ducks, I think, are the best team in the conference despite the loss to Washington. And so I'm picking Oregon because good teams go on the road and they win these games. And I'll I'll take Oregon to win and cover, but it's not my five-star pick. Second game is USC at Cal. One o'clock Saturday, the Pac-12 network. USC is an 11-point favorite at Cal. Who you got? Do we know who's coaching USC? And I, I say that sarcastic, a little bit sarcastically, right? Lincoln Riley missed two practices. Is that right? Yeah. And can I play a clip of what Nick Aliotti, the former Oregon defensive coordinator, said on my radio show this week? Can I play that? Yeah, for you? please do. Okay. 
I don't know what Lincoln Riley has, and I hope he's okay. But for a head coach to miss two practices in a row, uh, like I said, I, first and foremost, I hope he's okay. That's saying pneumonia. He's back today. They're saying pneumonia. So he's apparently okay. But I don't know how much of that pneumonia was brought on by losing. I coached 40 years. I never missed a practice. Amen. I think I had pneumonia sometimes. And maybe that's <laughs> self-serving. But no, my God. You, you show up. <laughs> what do you make of that? I'm going to side with Riley on, on this one. Uh, this is a pretty strong words from Nick. I, I think it was very serious, at least for a, a day or two. I do not think it had, it had much to do with, you know, the Utah game. I heard he had to, he had to go, you know, check into hospital. I don't know if it was urgent care or whatever, but this was not, uh, you know, uh, you know, just blow it off and get to get to practice situation. Uh, as far as I can tell. I, I don't know. I just, you know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I, I kind of see what Aliotti's saying. Like, you know, as a football coach, we've seen coaches who are ill or sick, and, you know, can you really afford at this point of the season to sit out two games, and how does that affect your team? And, oh, by the way, the optics of it are not great in in the wake of a no. loss in which you didn't let your team speak after the game. Uh, you know, I, I again, I want to believe, like Aliotti says, he hopes he's okay, but... There's also a little bit of – there has to be some skepticism, and I think USC has brought that on itself. Oh, they certainly have with the way they've played and with the way they've handled the media too. I mean, you know, they've now had two issues with the media uh, that have not been well-received, uh, and now they've got two losses in a row and three subpar performances in a row. So, yeah, they, there's a lot going on there, and that's the reason I am picking Cal to win the game. Outright. And not only cover 11, but I think Cal's going to win this game. They always play USC tough, only lost by a touchdown last year in the Coliseum. Cal's had two weeks to get ready for this, uh, and I just don't have any idea what to make of the Trojans at this point. So I got, I've got, i got Cal, and you know what? It would be considered an upset, but under the circumstances, it's really it would really only be, to me, a very mild upset if Cal won the game. I think the Bears will make it a game. I agree with you on taking Cal and the 11 points at home. Extra week of rest against a USC team that may or may not have quit on this season. We don't know. All this talk about should Caleb Williams finish the year, all that. And I think Cal's a much better offensive team than they get credit for. I saw them put up 40 on Oregon State. That is not a bad offensive team. So I think they're going to score on USC. I think they'll be in the 30s. And I picked USC to win at 35-30. I won't be surprised if you are right with your upset. But I think Cal plus 11 is the play. The, I don't understand the whole talk, all this talk on social media and on uh, the college football shows about is USC going to quit? Is Caleb Williams going to shut down? They can still win the conference. They've only got one loss in the league. If they went out, they're playing for the conference title in Vegas, and then they're going to the Fiesta Bowl or the Cotton Bowl. So, uh, I mean, I guess I could understand that if they have a few more losses, but at this point, they still have tons to play for. And you'd like to think that winning the conference championship is uh is something that would matter to them and you know what the nfl is the ultimate arbiter of this whole stuff about guys sitting out because as long as it doesn't affect their draft stock they can sit out they can miss bowl games but if the nfl starts thinking that you're sitting out is a reflection on lack selfishness lack of competitiveness competitiveness not you don't have a love for the game 
then that's when it starts to affect your draft status, and that's when the market will shift on all this. And I think, look, I like Caleb Williams. I interviewed him on Pac-12 Media Day. I came away from the interview really impressed with him. I, you know, he's he's got it together. But I think some of this is on his dad and his dad creating this narrative, like maybe my kid's not going to go to the NFL. Maybe my kid is. And this whole, uh, you know, I'm in control of everything narrative that is going on out there when it comes to Caleb Williams operating the background. I think it would be stupid for him to shut it down. I think it would say a lot about his competitive nature. And uh, I would I'd be surprised if he shut it down. And, you know, I just I think I think it's something to talk about. And I think sometimes those shows need something to talk about. But but I'm really curious to see how they show up in this game or if they don't, if they no show in this game. But to your point about they could still win the conference. Do you believe they can get anywhere near a conference title with that defense? Like, I think they're going to lose at least twice more down the stretch of this season. Oh, so do I. But I'm, they may not believe that. No, I, I think that they're in big trouble. Uh, but the bottom line is they, they went out. You know, they, they should have the mindset that we can win every game. And if they don't, then they've got real culture issues. Washington at Stanford, 4 o'clock Saturday, FS1. I'll go first on this one. Huskies are 26.5-point favorites. I still don't think uh, Michael Penix Jr. is right. There's something not right with him. Um, I'm really curious to see how he looks in this game, but unfortunately I don't think you know I don't think Stanford is good enough to pull off an upset or even keep this game close. The spread, again, 26.5 points. I think Washington covers it, something like 42-14. But keep an eye on Stanford. I think they'll do what Arizona State did. I think they'll attack the A-gap. I think they're going to blitz right at and right in Michael Penix Jr.'s face. Let's see if he looks better this week than he did a week ago. Because I think he got injured at the end of the Oregon game. I think he was still healthy enough to finish that game, and I think it's lingering. But Washington is not you know, speaking about that, not saying anything about it. But you can see something's just not right with him. Well, he was kind of holding his ribs, uh, you know, at the end, in the fourth quarter of that game. I mean, it was was pretty evident. You know, what's interesting to me is that the Huskies, are, for the second week in a row, are basically a four-touchdown favorite against a program that has given them fits over the years, right? ASU had won before last week. ASU had won, I think, 15 of 17 against Washington, including beating them last year. They were the, they were the last team to beat them. Uh, and now Stanford has done the same thing. You know, Washington went to Stanford uh, 20 – 2017, I think it was 2018, and they were top 10 and they were going for the playoff. And Stanford beat them on a Friday night. That was the game. Some fans may remember that was the game where the start of the game was pushed to FS, uh, FX, uh, FS2 because there was a truck race on FS1, if I remember <laughs> correctly. And uh, that caused all this kind of outrage in Seattle. But Stanford has given Washington fits over the years. So uh, I don't think Stanford's good enough to win, but I think it's going to be kind of like the ASU game. It's going to be a lot closer than than folks think. All right, keep an eye on that. I, I just don't know if Stanford's got the athletes to to consistently stay in there. But if Penix Jr.'s not right, that yeah, I, I mean, 26.5 points is a lot of points. Colorado at The, the grass will be two feet high at Stanford. <laughs> Colorado's at UCLA. 4.30 on ABC. Coach Prime and the Buffaloes coming off a bye week. UCLA fresh off a 42-7 win over Stanford. What happens at the Rose Bowl on Saturday? 
I've been pretty impressed with UCLA's defense. What about you? Yes, same. I think their defense is gonna is too physical for Colorado in this game. I, I like UCLA. Colorado has allowed, I looked this up the other day, uh, 35 sacks this year. Only one team has allowed more, Old Dominion, <laughs> right? And uh, obviously that's not good company to be keeping. So I, I just look at UCLA's front seven and think they're going to they're gonna have a party in the backfield the entire afternoon. And that means Shadur Sanders is going to have to throw on the run. Uh, he's going to th- have to throw under pressure, off-schedule plays. Can he do all that without making a, you know, mistakes? I'm not sure he can because UCLA's offense is in pretty good shape. I think Ethan Gar- Garbers will probably start again. I-, I like the Bruins to cover, even though Colorado's coming off that extra week. Yeah, and uh, same way. I-, I think the Bruins win. I think they cover. I think they'll get about 42 points on Colorado's defense, you know, and I think they win this one by three scores. I think they cover the 17. So I like UCLA in that game as well. Washington State, ASU, 5 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. Um, Who do you like? This is a very interesting game, don't you think? Yes. This, I think it's a must win for Washington State. Like, I, I, I think it's an obvious must win for them if they want to get, you know, their season back on track. They cannot lose this game. And I think Arizona State probably views this as maybe their best chance to win one. Yeah, it's a six and a half point spread. And ASU, you know, they played USC very tough. Uh, they played Washington, obviously very tough. They they played Colorado had to you know won the game in the last second. Uh, you got to give ASU you know an A plus plus for effort. Uh, and their defense isn't bad. It's just their offense it really struggles. So. Uh, and Washington State's offense is really struggling. So I think it could be kind of a low-scoring, close game. I've got ASU to cover. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be able to win the game outright. Uh, I picked them. I don't feel great about that. But I certainly like the the points, uh, the six-and-a-half points. I, I texted with Kenny Dillingham after, after the uh, Saturday night game against Washington. And what I was impressed with with Arizona State was just they kept playing. And they were playing hard for a team that hasn't had a yep. lot of success. They kept coming at Washington and just played like a team that very much believed in itself and wanted to play for their coach. Now they're down like eight scholarship players. They're you know they're they're piecemealed together. And frankly, at the beginning of the year, I had questions about whether or not they had enough physicality to to defend teams. And so the job they did against Washington was admirable. I just. I just don't know if they can keep that up two weeks in a row. And I was impressed with it, but I'm picking Washington State in this game, and I'm picking them to cover. I see it something like 28-20. I think you're right. It's not going to be a runaway, but I need Washington State to run the ball. I need them to commit to running the football and get Nakia Watson more involved in the run game. That's where that's where you can, you know, you can keep Arizona State off the their offense off the field you've got to run the football and at least try to run it they just did not they have not done that and they and they've become an easy out they are not running the ball they're not making teams defend the run game when they played against UCLA not counting quarterback scrambles Washington state had 12 rush attempts and you you can't let teams just say hey we don't have to worry about the run you can't do that so uh, keep an eye on that one in this game I t- one thing is interesting this week is there's six games and and the home team is underdog in five of them. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Uh, and I like, you know, I like home dogs. Uh, usually, uh, it will be real interesting to see how this if if the favorites are able to uh, to you know go five for five the road favorites. Last game, and it's a good one. Uh, it could end up being the best game of the whole day. Oregon State at Arizona. It is the ESPN game at seven thirty. And here's another road do- a road favorite. Oregon State is a three and a half point favorite in Tucson. What do you think? I, I it's going to be a great game. I agree with you. Uh, Arizona's better. Uh, they went into the bye week playing their best football of the season. I thought Oregon State, you know, knows the stakes. I, I think both teams are going to show up to play. There's been a lot of talk about this being a trap game. I asked Jonathan Smith about it. He said there's no such thing as a trap game. He says their guys are aware. They respect Arizona. They will be prepared. I'm. I think it's got 34-31 written all over it. I'm going to take the Beavers, but I'll take the three and a half because I think Arizona is going to play them very close. Yeah, me too. I don't know how you how you have a trap game coming out of a bye. It doesn't quite make sense to me, but uh, certainly, you know, this was not a game circled by Oregon State fans. You know, it, it pre in their preseason you know, visions of grandeur and getting to the Pac-12 championship game this year. Uh, I don't think Oregon State fans had this one circled, but it's going to be tough. Arizona's defense is very good. It's probably the most improved unit in the entire conference. You know, if you look at, there's 24 offensive and defensive units. I would I would rank Arizona's defense as the most improved. Uh, and they're going to, you know, Oregon State's going to have to run the ball like they do. And Arizona's defense is, you know, top 30 in the country against the run. I think it's going to be a, a terrific game. I've got I've got Arizona to cover, uh, Oregon State to win, uh, but Same down thing. to the wire. So you're for picking sure. it really close. Yeah, I think it's in the 30s, low 30s. What do you think? I don't know. Uh, you know, Oregon State's defense hasn't played great on the road, but I could see it end up getting it. You know, slow start, and then they each get up into the low 30s. I could see that. I, I would that the total is 56 and a half. I guess if I were picking that, I would probably take the over, but uh, it'll be real interesting. And Arizona, by the way, is six and one against the spread this year, best record in the country against the spread, largely because they're better than expected, right? So the point spread in the betting public has not caught up to the on-field performance. And this might be one of the last times you could get some value on Arizona before the line adjusts. Yeah. And my question for Oregon state is like, you know, their players is, do you, do you know the stakes in this game? Because if Oregon state can get this game, you have matchups, uh, obviously with Colorado coming and then, uh, and then they have Stanford, I think, right. Stanford and you could be nine and one heading to Washington and Oregon back to back. And, and I think you want to have not two losses when you're going into that two-game stretch at the end of the year. You want an opportunity to to compete for a conference championship. And, you know, can you get a split in those games? Can you win them both? You may be able to make an argument there. But that doesn't happen if you don't win at Arizona, yep. and you don't beat Colorado, two road games, and then you yep. don't get Stanford. It's a three-game for the Beavers. It's a three-game season to make it a two-game season. Yeah. I mean, do you know the stakes? You know, and Jonathan Smith, he told me, he says, yes, players are aware. You know, they this will not be a trap. Nick And Nick Aliotti said there's no such thing as a trap game. Coaches love, the coaches hate hearing that because Nick Aliotti goes, there's only 12 games. How can you have a trap game? You only get 12 of these things. They're they're like treasures, you know. And so I, I, I am interested to see this game because it really, you know, if Oregon wasn't playing at Utah, 
in the morning. I had even thought, Wilner, of like jumping on a plane and trying to get to that late game in Tucson because it, I think it's going to be a barn burner and I think it's going to be a great game. Yep, me too. Could be one of the best games of the whole season. All right. If you are listening to this podcast and you haven't already subscribed, hit that button, subscribe, make a commitment to us. And uh, again, a shout out to Pacific Seafood and the team there. If you want to get 12% off at PacificSeafood.com, use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout. You'll get 12% off. We'll catch you next week with a big episode. College football playoff rankings are out next Tuesday. Uh, And uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, everyone.